Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You are listening to AVFC Extra, a no-nonsense look at the club we all love. Brought to you by the Claret and Blue podcast. Hello and welcome to AVFC Extra. I'm James Rushton and today we've got to talk about Leeds United. Of course we have to, after a kind of gloating in uh, dragging a Liverpool fan on to kind of pick through the bones of a 7-2 Villa victory over his beloved club, we've now had to invite a Leeds fan onto the podcast to uh, speak about Leeds United's victory over Villa. Of course, Villa's first loss to the season. So I'll tell you what's so bad about Villa's first loss of the season. It's bad enough them losing, right? But it's bad enough them losing to Leeds United. It's then bad enough that my mate John McKenzie is a Leeds United fan and I've got to speak to him about this loss on the podcast. It's also bad that people paid fourteen ninety five to watch Villa lose to Leeds United. It's also bad that I didn't pay that fourteen ninety five. Thus, I've had to listen to the result and watch the match again in preparation for this podcast. But without any further messing around, this is Villa Extra and we're talking to John McKenzie about Villa versus Leeds United. How are you doing, John? Yeah, really good. Uh, how are you feeling after what was probably not a very fun game for you? Uh, as I said in the intro, it's one thing having the first loss of the season. It's another it being to Leeds and it's another not paying for it, listening on the radio, then having to watch the entire thing again after knowing what's happened. Tough, tough. But look, um, it's a positive start to the season. I'll ask you more in depth about that. But um, for our listeners, our viewers, who are you? What, what, are, you do- what are you doing here? <laughs> Uh, my name is John McKenzie. I'm a freelance journalist covering mainly football. I do lots of other things as well. Um, but I also run uh, All Stats on We, which is a Leeds United fan channel, which basically focuses on the tactics and the stats side of things. Although we, we again, we cover pretty much everything that's going on. Yeah, I saw um, on your Patreon feed that you had like a man of the match of the day style um, analysis of a few matches, and I just couldn't, I just couldn't bear to do it, John. Not, not, not directly after. Not, I can't, I can't be doing it. I can't be watching my Villa go through that again. It was a complete rundown. But look, um, great start to the season for both clubs. I don't, I didn't expect us to both be up here, and I think that's a massive positive. Um, how are you feeling about being that far up the table so early on? Yeah, I mean, obviously. Well, we're what like six games in you've got a game in hand as well so it's very early days um i guess for you guys the the thinking has got to be you were within a hair's breadth of relegation last season and mm-hmm. and to start off this way is just going to change your season irrevocably it's probably going to be the case that you're quite comfortable staying up if you can keep up the uh the sort of performances you've been doing and you know i was i was looking at the table for for us as well and and just sort of thinking there's there's already teams that we're we're three wins clear of at this point in the season that's a really good boost for for teams like villa and leeds whose first thought will be let's be honest staying up in the in the division this season so yeah it's nice to see um it's nice to see villa doing well um it's nice to see us coming into the division and looking competitive um, because there was, we. I mean, we know we played well in the championship, but there's no guarantee that playing well in the championship is going to translate well into the Premier League. So um, 
I think for me, I'm being, I'm trying to be very balanced about it and just sort of not really make my mind up until we're, we're sort of 10 games into the season and then, um, the, the league table will settle down. Uh, but one thing I would say is that a lot of the big clubs do seem to be wobbling a little bit. Um, and so the, the, the table's probably never been more open than it is now. So yeah, I think it's, um, it, these are all good signs for both Villa and Leeds. Yeah, I think I worked it out after our Leicester win. Off, you know, the points we have. If the season was to play out from this point on exactly as it played out last season, you know, Villa would be what twelve points ahead of them, so about nine points ahead of themselves because they beat Everton. So yeah. that I think puts them about twelfth, thirteenth in last season's table. But as we both know, going a bit off script here. It's been a crazy start to the season. It looks like everyone's beaten everyone in that cyclical motion that the Premier League has where everyone on their day can beat everyone. But we've seen that and that's been realised a lot sooner. What do you make of that? Yeah, I think a lot of it just uh, comes down to the fact that we've not had pre-season uh, in the same sort of way that we've had it before. The long break, obviously, last season for coronavirus um, has, has led to a sort of weird summer. And no doubt uh, clubs' periodization schedules, so their fitness schedules will have been upset by that. Um, there will be weird things happening to players' bodies. We know that there's going to be um, um, increased injuries particularly sort of muscle and uh, soft tissue injuries this this season because of that and I think again managers are having to rotate a little bit more than they would like to to try and avoid that as well so um, I, I was reading a, an article on The Athletic actually about Leicester City because we're playing them next and uh, what I found interesting about that is even even five six games in looking at their underlying numbers they're putting up very different numbers to what they were doing last season and I think a lot of that comes down to um, what I'm saying there about um, about not wanting to press quite so heavy because they know that if they if they go um you know all guns blazing this season that is going to come a point in the season where they'll be missing players and stuff so certainly a concern for a team like Leeds whose identity is sort of tied up with with being um all action and and heavy pressing so yeah lots of interesting things to to look at this season but I do think it will probably sort of calm down at some point when eventually we sort of reach a point that um teams would have reached if they'd have had proper full pre-season schedules it's about taking advantage of the time we've got, which I think uh, Villa and Leeds, especially Leeds after beating Villa, especially Villa as well, having that game in hand, have b- both done a fine job of that. But before we rip the plaster off, got to get down to it eventually. But what has Leeds' style been under uh, Marcelo Bielsa? It's too answers to this question I think because obviously we've gone from being in the championship and being a very dominant side in the championship to coming into the Premier League and being a, a sort of underdog in most of our games and so um, the really interesting question is going to be how do you go from being a team that is a predominantly high possession um, team to to what is now a team who are going to not, I mean, I mean I'm, not, I'm not saying that we're not going to be um, high possession. We're not going to be as as high possession as we were, obviously. Um, and we have, you know, we've matched we matched Liverpool pretty much for for possession, which is which is quite impressive. But at the same time, you know, you 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 aren't going to be able to play the same sort of football that you're playing um, without sixty percent possession on the uh, on the board. So this season we've come out and been um, a lot more direct I think um, and this is going to be the watchword that I use a lot in this show uh, about the way that we were with Villa uh, but we're it seems as though we're, we're concentrating a lot of our attacks through our, our wide players we're um, trying to get um, down the, the lines anyway this is what we did last season um, but it does feel as though we're, we're, we're trying to be a little bit more um, I wouldn't say counter-attacking but maybe a little bit more direct to winning the ball back and then and then trying to get into the uh, opposition box. Um, Pat Bamford's enjoying life in the Premier League. A lot of people are quite critical of him. Yeah, don't uh, say it's not last season. Mate. It's like Voldemort. Sorry, 
Yeah, he who shall not be named. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll try and uh, keep mentions to him down to a minimum. But um, yeah, again, he's he's very much um, enjoying being what we like to call a front foot striker. Where you know he's he's sort of um, rather than being in the box and receiving the ball and having to um, work around a, a sort of tightly packed defence, he's now being able to um, take the ball into the box a little bit more and, and uh, have a little bit more space to um, to to get those shots away. Maybe a bit too much space in Villa's case, but uh, I'm sure that's something we're going to get onto. But yeah, with, with Bielsa, you're looking at high possession um, in, in terms of keeping the ball, but building up down the, the, the wide areas through the fullbacks. Um, and then when the ball is lost, like a lot of high possession teams do, um, having a fairly aggressive press to try and to try and win the ball back quickly so that your defence isn't under too much pressure. Uh, and then the other defining feature is he uses a sort of man marking system uh, out of possession as well, which is quite unusual. Uh, particularly in the Premier League. So um, if you watch a a Bielsa game um, this season, just have a look to see which player is marking which player because they'll almost invariably keep their players through the whole game and and you can sort of orientate where the the structure defensively is going to be by where the opposition um, players are positionally as well. So it's very interesting stuff. So again, going a bit off script here, because that's uh, lit off a little light bulb in my head, because I remember the controversial, the Villa-Leeds game that occurred in our promotion season, uh, I think two years ago, two seasons ago now, it seems like years and years, eons ago. But I remember Calvin Phillips being specifically, a he seemed to be very much on Jack Grealish's case. And I mean, would that have followed through and it been Pascal, was it Strike? He was kind of in, in a similar position, keeping that, uh, keeping tabs on Grealish. Yeah, so obviously when we played two years ago, Grealish was playing as more of an eight, um, played yeah. a little bit deep, you'll remember that season. And, and as a result of that, um, he was, yeah, he was the um, responsibility of Calvin Phillips. Actually, I think on Friday, was more tasked with uh, covering Grealish because obviously Grealish now plays out on the on the left. So um, there was a lot of people who kind of were talking about the Pascal Strauch um, early substitution um, because he obviously got um, that yellow card against Grealish and then put in a bit of a shonky challenge against Douglas Luiz. Um, but I actually think that the reason why that, I, I think the yellow card does come into it, but um, I also think that there was a tactical element to that. I think Bielsa expected um, Villa to come out in a different, um, uh, in a different structure off, off out of possession. Um, and so it threw him a little bit. And I think, partly because of the yellow card, but also partly because Villa played with a flatter midfield three than they had done in their previous games, um, with with Ross Barkley dropping in alongside um, McGinn and Luis rather than playing in front of them. I think um, Bielsa also sort of used that as a as a reason to bring Strauch off as well. So, um, yeah, you know, look, Strauch would have had to do some um, coverage of, of Grealish. And um, one of the things we looked at actually in our um, in our post-match review is the way that um, Leeds kept um, Grealish quiet by by doubling up onto him. And it's kind of interesting looking at the way that the, the man-marking system sort of reorientates itself after when, when, you know, everyone's marking a man, but then um, some players can then drop their men and, and go and close down Grealish as well. Um, and, you know, it's a testament to just how good a player Grealish is that, that Leeds would, would approach the game in that way. Thanks for saying that. You passed the test now. You're allowed to carry on with the. Uh, the sort you'll of get no, you'll get nothing bad about <laughs> Jack Grealish from me. Leeds fans absolutely hate him because he because he is quote unquote divey. But um, I just think, you know, he earns the right to to go down in challenges because he gets fouled a lot. He's also just one. He's probably the best ball 
um, retainer in the Premier League, um, give or take a couple of players. He's just an incredible player. Um, and he is, you know, he, he's the, the fulcrum around which Villa, Villa move. He's got the highest progressive carries in, in the division. And I think that's a real testament to just how brilliant a player is. So you're not going to hear anything negative about Jack Grealish from me, I'm afraid. Well, brilliant. Villa fans, you can carry on listening. There's not going to be a <laughs> bad word. This is going to be a safe space from here on in. Um, but yeah, it's just, it was just, uh, Bring, on that point, there's always a player. I think because I, I was on BBC Radio Leicester before the Villa Leicester game, and they said, "How do you stop Jack Grealish?" And I go, "You can't really stop Jack Grealish unless he he mucks something up himself. He does he does his job well." And he goes, "Yeah." And they go, "Yeah, he's diving." And I think, yeah, all every club has their bias. I mean, Villa hate Patrick Pamford. I can't say his name <laughs> out loud. Um, Leeds fans, obviously, there's a there's a bit of uh, angst about Jack Grealish. You know, I think every every club has that tribal bias. There is a player that they pick on that they just don't like, and the reason might be valid, it might not be valid, but I think it's just part of accepting football, isn't it? That we're not always gonna gonna get along, right? Yeah, no, of course, and um, yeah, I totally agree with you. And um, you know, the, the, there's always a reason why you hate players like that right and it's not because they dive it's because they cause you problems throughout and Jack Grealish had a couple of guilt edge chances we relied on Luke Ailing clearing off the line for one of them uh, and then he had a bit of a poor shot on his on his right for, for one of them as well but if either of those two goes in then you know you could you could easily be in a situation where um, the, the game changes and it felt to me as though Villa really dropped off after the first Leeds goal went in um, partly I think because of the tactical changes that, that happened in the second half but also partly because you know it's it's hard to go to a, a goal down and come back from I think that's the first time you'd been a goal down uh, this season mm-hmm. so um, these these um, uh, it's tricky to come back from those situations. Yeah, so time to rip the plaster off. We've got to get it over. We've got to get into this match. So, firstly, was it typical of Leeds under Bielsa? They they weren't doing too much different things to kind of what you've explained already. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, again, so I spent a lot of the preview, um, the, the stuff previewing this match, just sort of looking at the way that Villa had played, especially after Ross Barkley has come in, and just looking at the way that you obviously Villa play in a mid block, um, and that the mm. purpose of a mid block is to sort of um, to, to give yourself a sort of defensive structure that's like hard to break down. It covers your defence. Um, everyone has their zone, and they cover that zone, and everyone knows where they're at. Um, and with Ross Barkley in the team, you've been sort of playing as a four four two with Barkley pushing up alongside Ollie Watkins out of possession and just giving a little bit more solidity in the in the central area, uh, stopping defenders from coming through the middle. And then you've got a four man midfield with the two wide players, so Trezeguet and and Grealish dropping back alongside McGinn and and Luis. Uh, you play that against Liverpool. You play that against Leicester. And it worked really well because it, it sort of gave you a, a nice wide coverage of, of the field. Um, I was very surprised when, when you came out and you basically, you, you basically defended in a, either 4-3-3 or a 4-5-1. Um, because it, it just meant that, um, you had a very, very narrow midfield three and leads just, basically caused you so many problems in wide areas and they just recycled the, the ball from side to side. So Leeds used used the way that Villa were playing to to punish you both vertically and horizontally, I'd say. Um, the, in the first half, you'd see Leeds switching play from side to side quite a lot. And then in the second half in particular, um, they, were, they, they just went way more direct. And I think I've already mentioned the Pascal, Pascal strike um, um, substitution, and I think the reason why they brought Jamie Shackleton on and dropped click backwards again, they they just wanted to try and get in as quickly as possible into forward position so that they could get in behind your wide players, so Grealish and Trezeguet, and and just attack your fullbacks um, 
and get get our wingers isolated one on one against your your fullbacks and um it you, your midfield was so narrow and your front three was so advanced that it just caused a lot of spaces down the sides and it surprised me because one we play structurally very similar to the way that Leicester and Liverpool play um and two you know we everyone knows that Leeds are are, are a very wide attacking team um and so it seemed strange to me that um that it seemed as though Dean Smith maybe was trying to protect the, the centre a little bit more than may, maybe the wide areas. Um, and I think that was basically what, what did it. I think the three goals, if you look at them, um, the first one is 20 seconds from our own corner flag to the Villa goal. The the second one is a Ross Barkley turnover in the midfield area, and then it's 10 seconds until the ball's in the back of the net. And then the third goal is, it goes from Melier, the Leeds goalkeeper, to the Villa goal in 20 seconds as well. Really, really quick transitional play. And um, I think that's really what did it for for uh, Villa unfortunately so a big part of that would be what occurs pre-match right I know a lot was made of how Bielsa had he had his own special setup at the training ground that's all managers do but I think a lot was definitely made of Bielsa's own setup I mean was it sleeping quarters and bunks at four parts was is that correct yeah they've got like sleeping pods uh, they do long days i think they do sort of like nine they do at least nine to five maybe later nine to seven sometimes um depending on how many training sessions they're going to do and so bielsa's b- built them these sort of living quarters where because obviously not you're not going to be playing the whole time so um there's there's places where they can go and just sort of relax and read and also have a sleep if they need to so um yeah he's very very heavy on the on the prep side of things and obviously everyone knows with the um spygate incident that you know he he is obsessive in his preparation in terms of trying to work out what it is that the opponents will do so how much time do you think a man like Bielsa and his analysts put into you know analyzing Villa ahead of the match where does that start like what what's the timeline for that do you think yeah, they'll be working probably, they'll be working a few weeks in advance, um, in terms of the video analysis. Um, they'll have watched every game Villa played this season, obviously, and probably quite a lot of what they played over the summer and before the summer, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so they'll have a really good sense of what, of what is going on in terms of the, the tactical. Uh, tweaks that, that Dean Smith could make. Um, again, I, I mean, they will put in more effort than they need to. I mean, Bielsa is obsessive and he admits this. And, you know, there's a sense in which, you know, you can be too obsessive in this regard. You, you can over-prepare for things. And uh, that's why I sort of made the point that I actually think Bielsa was surprised by the way that, that Dean Smith came out in that fourth four five one uh, mid block um, and I think that's why he changed Pascal Strauch over quite quickly because actually if you watch back over uh, Strauss game in the in the first twenty minutes before he comes off, he actually doesn't do much wrong apart from those two those two challenges. And um, there's been plenty of examples before of of um, players making getting a yellow card early on and then just playing out the rest of the game without making without making another foul. Um, so I, I think it's more tactical, and I think Bielsa was probably surprised at that. And in the second half as well, I think Leeds then came out a little a, a bit more direct. He he sort of encouraged them to try and get forward quicker as well. So. One of the one of the um, things that you can look at with with Marcelo Bielsa is um, I know that smarter scout have done this sort of stuff, but looking at the um, the impact that he has in the second half is quite notable. I think if you, he if you were to stop games at half time, Leeds would have finished in a lower position last season. Um, so they they win a lot of points in um, second half of games. Obviously, partly that's to do with the the fitness levels that Leeds Leeds players have, but also it's because Bielsa is a very good um, in game manager. So he can he can um, see where weaknesses are or where um, potential weaknesses are for the opponents are, and he can um, 
tweak the tactics so that um, that that is um, addressed. So I think that sort of happens uh, happened as well. So in that sense, it was a, a typical Bielsa performance as well. So all of that pre-match analysis, the quick in-game change, that was all realised, wasn't it? Kind of, kind of the complete plan. So that was that what they were looking for? Did they find what they were looking for and bring down Villa that way? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think whenever you play against a team who f- f- play in a mid-block, you're going to try and attack them before they can get into their structure because obviously, you know, you're, you're trying to pull them around and... and um, once I think once a, a team is in a, a sort of rigid block of four and five or four and four, um, it, you know it's very very hard to to really cause any problems. So I think they will probably have come into this game being um, aware that the verticality, sort of quick um, attacking, would have been the order of the day. Um, but yeah, I think the narrowness will have been what what maybe confused them. And I think if you if you see that first goal. Um, we broke it down in our in our video, and um, the ball sort of withheld Acosta. It goes into the midfield area, and um, Patrick Bamford's actually being pressured by Tyrone Mings really high up the field, basically around the halfway line. But then Leeds just switched the play really quickly, and and from that point, you're just your defence is all over the place, and and you don't really and Leeds just exploit the the space, and there's nothing really you can do. And um, yeah, I think that's what Leeds will have been trying to do: try and try and strike um, as, as quickly as possible in those turnover situations. Because because um, that's that's how you beat teams with a mid block. Do you think with Leeds, um, because they're so well drilled, that it's not the decision making? It seems like it's already done for them. They already know where to pass, what to do, and it, you know the, the players of Leeds are, are a certain quality. I think I can say, you know, before Bielsa took over, you know, Leeds under Christiansen under Heckingbottom weren't performing to these high high standards. So it looks like all that pre match planning, that decision making, it's already made. So I feel like with Villa, and I'm going a bit off script here. When, when you're facing a team like that, you can. There are certain things you can do, and I know that we say that by the we, that they, they did that with the role of um, Ross Barkley. But I feel like switching the players on the flanks, rotating the players in midfield, you can give them a bit more of a headache and make them maybe second guess. Because with that first goal, that's the one that annoys me the most because I feel like that's the most preventable one of them all. I mean, the the, the other two goals look. Maybe Tyron Mings is showing a bit too much of the goal to Bamford on, on his left, but he's surrounded by three players. It's a stunning finish out the box for the other one. So you've got two stunning finishes, and it's that first one because that first one's a problem because that's where Villa's head completely drops. I feel like that is the most preventable one, and I feel like just just give, him, give a Bielsa side a bit much more to think about because the decisions, it seems like, are already made. Yeah. Yeah, in the first goal in particular, you see one Villa are pressing quite high with their front three, but also target is just miles, miles yeah. forward and he presses pressures held Acosta um around I mean, within within ten uh, yards of the corner flag easily if not five yards um and from there they just sort of costa passes it to robin Koch. Koch goes down the line uh it actually bounces off tyrone mings but falls nicely to to um jamie shackleton who just plays the ball out quickly wide and from there it's sort of one ball into to harrison uh no rodrigo one ball into alioski back to rodrigo takes a shot and then it, it comes comes through to to Bamford who to be fair to him I think had quite a decent finish um given that that Mings and and the uh, Martinez were on the line there as well um but yeah to, to your point about Leeds being well drilled I, I've just shared a thing actually on my personal Twitter just a quote from from the Aspire Academy lecture that he gave into gave in 2016 and he says that the quote is basically Bielsa saying there's a lot of problems in world in football that can be solved by just having world-class talent um but there's also 
a, a load that average players can do that they just don't do because they've not been taught how to do it. And I think that's really the that's really the the clarion call for what he's achieved at Leeds because no one is going to pretend that the Leeds squad is good. I don't think. I mean, the Leeds fans will, but um, I don't think anyone looking at that squad will will. I mean, obviously we bolstered it with some really good players this summer, but we have a lot of very average players, players who like last season were in a situation that m- most of them hadn't been in before um, in challenging for the, the championship title. And so much of it comes from the system, understanding the system. If you understand the system, you can achieve way more than the sum of the parts of that system. And that's been the watchword of, of Bielsa's um, time. And that's what is so enjoyable to watch I think about this team is that it's not that you look at that team and you know you'll know as a, as a Villa fan when you have a world-class player like Jack Grealish you can achieve a load of uh, you can achieve a huge amount but with Leeds I think the, the enjoyment I get is just looking at you know average players who were finishing 13th in the championship now challenging with with Premier League players because they understand the structures of the game rather than because they can dribble past someone and or they can um, they can outrun someone or they got a better touch than someone or they can shoot better than someone so it's a, it's a real pleasure to to watch Leeds from that perspective it seems almost instinctive that they can just make the right decision at any given time because I think that's best exemplified in the fact I think it was 19 shots in the box and you know you only score three but any three out of that 19 you're giving yourself a solid chance so I feel like it was pretty much always coming it was on the cards I did like Villa in the first half because I felt like we kind of set our store. We, we we knew what we was going to do, but it collapsed after that first goal. So yeah, nineteen odd shots in the box always come in right, John. Yeah, and I think to you know to I, I think it was maybe it was the Wolves game. I'm not sure if it was the Wolves game, but more the Villa game. But I think Leeds sort of played something like twenty. I can't remember. It was a huge amount, maybe twenty six. Um, passes into the box um that were then received by players and uh, to put that in into perspective it's it's sort of um uh, it's something like double that that Chelsea have managed all season so it leads is just Bielsa is so good at um at understanding just the fundamentals of how to play good attacking football and like you say with with that structure that obsessional uh, approach to just drilling players into these routines and these interchanges and these rotations so that the players know one who, where how they're supposed to be moving um, when they're in possession of, of the ball and two how they're supposed to be moving out of possession of the ball um, it just makes these it, it means that you create way more attacking options than you would if you just got a bunch of 11 good players and just said just go out there and express yourself um, you know the classic example is is Spurs sort of um, crawling their way past, past Burnley last night, and, be, and Mourinho is a player who's famous for not really drilling any any attacking play or any play in the final third. It's just sort of like um, you get your players there and you just sort of hope hope for the best. Um, but you know, it, it, in those situations, you know, you can have Harry Kane and uh, and Son Kung Min on your team, and if they're not given the space by the opposition, it's it becomes very very difficult for them to to score those goals. And in the end, ironically, they they did it from a set piece. Um, so yeah, I think with Bielsa, you just get you get an edge that a lot of other clubs just don't get from their manager, which is that he will give you he will in, imbue you with a system that is actually uh, really productive. It will get you into more goal scoring opportunities than you might otherwise. And then the question becomes, as we had last season, you know, if your players are maybe not world class, how is their finishing going to be? Are, are they going to put away those chances? And that's what under Bielsa, that's what it's been 
all the way through his career because he's never really had those those really um elite t- teams he's always been working with what he would probably call average players but getting the best out of them and so you sort of that's that's the sort of um payoff for that pretty lopsided game as well uh for in, in a lot of reasons but one of the ones noticed is obviously there's always going to be an imbalance with sides and where they attack through the middle at the left at the right there's always going to be it's not always going to be equal but a lot of villas play obviously went through the left obviously went through Grealish and one of the things I noted of course following Leeds Bielsa Spygate is how much they would know that's that's happening and it did work Villa had a shot cleared off the line Jack Grealish broke through how many players to get Villa's probably best chance of the game um the way Ollie Watkins was maybe free up the top and he could have passed um that came to nothing but were Villa on a hiding to nothing, constantly going up the left, um, because it, it, it did look like it had to re- rely on Jack Grealish's very best abilities to even give Villa, to, Villa a chance. Yeah, I think when you're playing against a team who have Jack Grealish on on the side, then you've just got to recognise that you are going to give up chances and you just sort of pray to the gods that it doesn't come off. And um, Leeds did, you know, they sort of, they picked their tactic and that tactic was we'll, we'll have Dallas mainly man marking him but we'll make sure that it, there's always sort of double coverage on him and um we'll see what can happen and obviously a couple of times that's um that's fallen to pieces and particularly this, the the chance where he's he's dribbled from the halfway line and got past a, a weak challenge from helder costa and then just been able to run at the least defense and um the other time, I guess, Ollie Watkins, who actually was um, uh, a good player on the night, I thought, especially in the first half as well. You know, he he burned, I think, Luke Ailing, and 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 then Grealish had that chance at the at the back post, which Ailing then cleared off the line. That's part and parcel of what's going to happen in football. And I think Bielsa is a sort of manager who won't worry too much about the best player on the other team. He'll just kind of think, well, we'll do our best to to limit them as much as we can, but we've got a plan to to score more than than they do. And in the night, it it worked out. Like there's there's every chance that Villa could have scored against us in the first half and that's not to say that Villa would have come out and won necessarily but it would have been obviously a different game um I do think that we probably had the edge in terms of um well obviously in terms of chance creation and I think even if we had gone a goal down in the second half we probably would have come back quite strongly but um yeah I think Bielsa you guys I think that the issue is has has got to be that you know if 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 you are reliant on someone like Jack Grealish um if a team can keep him quiet or if you know things happen where like Luke Ayling manages to clear the ball off the line um that's that's your sort of tactic done and um I guess you know that's that's going to be good enough for 90 percent of your Premier League games that you play in perhaps and uh, and then occasionally it just won't work out and that's that's just football isn't it but um what else could you do I suppose would be would be the question like how else are you going to get get your edge against um a team if you aren't able to use your best player so uh, it's a tricky one to to answer I think um but I I don't really think that there's a problem with with Villa going through Jack Grealish predominantly I think that's I mean I think that's what Leeds would be doing if we had a player like Jack Grealish on our team as well uh we did that with um Pablo Hernandez last season in the the championship so I don't see it as being a necessary problem I suppose the question then is well what if that doesn't work out then then what other angles do you have to your attacking play uh would be my question but again I don't think that's a huge issue in that respect yeah, I think Villa pretty much got what they needed apart from the goals out of Jack Grealish. Two good chances that unfortunately came to nothing. Um, I wanted to speak quickly about Villa's defence because, look, you go to the, the amount of shots in the box, two of the Leeds goals from Bamford, I feel like you can get it to the frame of the shot 
and it's a pretty tough position for him. He's either in the process of being closed down or there's three players around him and he's only kind of got one avenue to hit both times he hits it. So what did you make of kind of Villa's defensive actions on the on the night? So in preparation for this game, for, for our material, I watched all of Villa's games from the season so far. And one of the things I've noticed about the way the Villa play is their, their mid block has been really successful in that it doesn't actually lead their defence to being under a huge amount of pressure a lot of the time. Um, and I think the difference between the Leeds game and the previous games they played this season was that Leeds were just getting in between their midfield and the attack uh, and the defence, sorry, so many times that, that the Villa defenders were a little bit... Um, unsure as to how to deal with things. Um, I as to why they. I mean, in both the second and third chances, I think so much more could have been done. I mean, the ball comes into Pat Bamford, and he on on the first and well, the second goal. Um, he he sort of picks the ball up, and um, I think it's Conser who's close to him, and then Biel, um, Bamford is able to push away from the defenders, sort of out of the box, and then turn change the ball from his right to his left and then get the shot in. And the same is true in the third goal as well, where, and, and this time probably even worse, where he's got four players around him and he takes the touch, which is quite nice. But then again, you know, he's, we know that he's weak on his right foot. He's given the opportunity to actually shift his whole body position so that he can get then get onto his left foot again um, with four players around him. I just think that's, you, that, that's a real defensive issue um, right there. And I don't know whether or not it's because they thought that he was going to shoot with his right. They didn't want to jump in, but I would have, I would have thought with four players around him, one of them could have just got close and just jumped in and seen what happened. Um, because if that happens, then I don't think he scores that third goal. Um, the second goal, you know, you take with a pinch of salt because like, Look, I've been watching Pat Bamford for very intently for for this is the third season now, and I don't expect him to score that. So you know, you sort of t- you take that with a pinch of salt. But the the third one in particular, I just sort of thought, you know, with four players around him, a player who you know is dominant foot is left is probably going to try and get on his left foot, and he um he's given all the time and space in the world to actually just shift his body position and get that shot away. I think that's really, really poor defending. And I wonder whether or not that is because Villa Villa's defense haven't actually been under as much pressure this season because of their mid block uh, working so well previously. So again, you, you, the, how do you approach that as a Villa fan? Well, you kind of think, well, do we treat this as a one-off a team that's really worked out how to exploit our mid block and you know our defense aren't going to be under that sort of pressure again or do you kind of think well that's the sort of thing that even if your mid block is beaten you should be hoping that your defense um don't don't have those sort of issues um going forward as well so i, I think it's probably a, a balance of the two i don't think it's sort of thing to really panic about now but really questions should be asked about the the sort of uh the the, the defensive work that the, the the villa are doing in training i would say Questions arising about Villa's defence. What a surprise. <laughs> Never heard that one before. But, uh, John, uh, on a final note, did anyone cap from Villa catch your eye uh, in, in, a, in the best way possible, of course? And I know you're probably going to say Jack Grealish here. You're absolutely entitled to do, but I'll give the floor to you. I'm not going to wax lyrical about Grealish because I think I've already done that enough in this podcast. Um, I, I, I do I do love him and I think he's a brilliant player. And he is the player that I'm not a great fan of international football. He's the player that England should be building around because, you know, they, they don't have any anyone else like him that they have that option to do that with. So, yeah, obviously Grealish is always a pleasure to watch. Uh, I'm going to say Ollie Watkins. I was gutted that you guys got him and we didn't. Um, I think in hindsight, you know, that's probably 
explained by the fact that Rodrigo is able to play a little bit deeper. He's almost playing in the, well, he's playing in the midfield, but he sort of flits between playing, pushing forward and, and playing a slightly deeper role with a slightly more creative role. I have no doubt that, that Watkins could probably play that role too, but it, just in terms of like his age profile, his ceiling, I think Watkins is a really exciting player. He's a smart player. He's played in smart systems and proven that he can do it. Uh, and I thought he caused us a lot of problems in the first half. Um, and I was kind of thankful that you guys dropped off in the second half and didn't really push forward at all because, you know, between Grealish and, and Watkins, I thought I thought you would have caused us some problems defensively. So I'll, I'll say Grealish and Watkins are the players that impressed me. Thank you, John. That wasn't actually too bad, actually, going through. I thought I was going to be, like, crying halfway through. But, look, it's a reality check, isn't it? And it's not doom and gloom. Villa got 12 points. They've put themselves in a massively good position. Leeds haven't exactly stolen anything from them. It's not a cup final. It's a relegation six-pointer. You know, Leeds are going on their path. Villa going on their path. They're both in really positive positions. And I think my main thing after that was yeah i could look i was guilty of using the still images getting infuriated about going down the left when we you know nothing was happening but in hindsight it was slim margins when it come to clearing off the line it was slim margins making probably the wrong decision at the end villa had their chances probably didn't take them leeds had plenty of chances and certainly took them so just the difference there uh, not a massive negative but i i genuinely expected to be crying halfway through this so uh, thank you for the analysis john it's just one game. It's just one game. That's the way you have to look at it. And I, I guess it's harder for you guys because it's the first game that you lose of the season. We had the same thing that we really had the same sort of experience with the Wolves game, like five days prior. Um, just because, again, that's a game that we could, we feel as though, you know, on a different day, it could have gone a different way. Um, and you win that and you're sort of feeling really confident about where you're at. And you would, as Villa fans, you'll be looking at that Leeds game saying, well, you know, if you've beaten teams like Leicester and Liverpool, you're, you, you kind of think newly promoted side we should be turning these guys over and um but yeah it's just one game it's just one game there's plenty more to come and um you know with villa you, you guys have got to be thinking the best you know 17th places um is what you're aiming for that's what i'm thinking with leeds you know you that, that's got to be your your first your first thought um even just staying up this season i think you guys have been able to have a much better summer window than you would have had had you gone down obviously and you've not lost any players like that so it's just a building it's another stepping stone a building block in 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 the uh, premier league um sort of tenure that that we've both got to look forward to so i, th- I have i've no doubt that villa and, and Leeds will be fine this season and you know maybe when we play each other the, the uh in the return leg it will be completely different and you guys will do one over on us that's just the way you have to look at it in football isn't it yeah, I hope uh, I hope we do, and I hope the fans there. I hope all the all the Ellen Road faithful there watching uh, Dean Smith's tricky villains do over the Arsenal leads finally a lovely bit of revenge, and I hope they're all there. To, <laughs> we're all there to watch it. But yeah, John, uh, wonderful, wonderful having you on. Uh, where can Villa fans find you if they want to harass you about all your Patrick Bamford prize? <laughs> So my uh, individual Twitter is at John underscore McKenzie, but most of the lead stuff that I do is on at all stats, aren't we? Uh, we put up a load of stuff there. We do previews of, of games as well. So you might want to check it out before we play each other next time because we do we try and do a tactics preview to try and set out how other teams play. And yeah, we put a load of interesting stuff up there, hopefully. So th- there's probably something for you, even if you're a, a Villa fan. Perfect. Well, there we go. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to AVFC Extra, an additional dose of Aston Villa content for you, brought to you by the Claret and Blue podcast team. If you enjoyed the episode, please do get in touch with us, get involved in the comment sections, tweet us at Claret Blue Pod, or leave us a review on iTunes. We really do appreciate it. We'll catch you again very soon with some more content. Until then, up the villa. Up the villa.